Read with me our text from Second Timothy 2, uh, from verse 2. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. I was in my mid-twenties and I was working in the garden when the minister of our church uh, appeared. Uh, he was a man that I admired, uh, a North Uist man. He'd exercised a fruitful ministry in Sky before uh, his current charge. Um, after a pleasant but slightly puzzling conversation, he asked me if I'd consider going on a training course for the eldership. And I was quite taken aback. I hadn't given that any thought, and I was quite happy doing what I was doing, leading the youth group in the church. Uh, he pressed me a little bit more. Wouldn't you think that at some stage you would be involved in leadership in the church? Once again, I hadn't given that any thought either, and I had no desire, actually, to join the Kirk session of that church. And as I think about that uh, in the light of our text, and as I reflect uh, on that particular time, uh, a number of things come to mind. First of all, it probably reflects on myself, uh, the rather uh, unformed view that I had of the church and of ministry. Uh, I wasn't really interested in changing the, the ethos of the congregation. I simply plugged into a single ministry and was quite happy to get on with that. But on the other hand, to be fair, the model of leadership that was being presented at the time uh, wasn't one that inspired me, wasn't one that made me want to be involved at that level. The people who in that, that church were theoretically its leaders, its spiritual leaders, uh, were there because they held respectable roles in the town. They were the town's bankers and lawyers and teachers. Uh, they weren't really providing any spiritual leadership. They weren't inspiring the younger generation, such as myself, to follow their example. Uh, in fact, in many ways, they seem to be part of the problem. They seem to be the, the obstacles over which we needed to climb to get things done in the church. One of the key uh, aspects in revitalizing the Church of God is creating, or multiplying even, servant leadership within the church. Leaders, godly leaders, biblical leaders, have an enormous impact on the church. Uh, you can't really revitalize the church without uh, good leaders. And the text that we're looking at this morning, 2 Timothy 2.2, is probably the most important text on the subject of multiplying leadership within the church. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. This is Paul's last letter. Uh, he is seeing the approach of his own death, therefore the end of his earthly ministry. Uh, he's reflecting on things, things that are important. Uh, he's seeing the importance of passing on the baton to a new generation of people who will keep the, the onward advance of the kingdom moving. He has invested himself in a number of men. Uh, think of some of the folks that Paul invested in. There was uh, 
Barnabas, uh, Epaphroditus, uh, Silas, uh, Titus, but especially Timothy, this son in the faith. Uh, <coughs> Timothy uh, was possibly converted along with his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois, or it may have been one of those generational things, you know, in which you know, maybe Lois was the first uh, to be converted, and she passed it on to her daughter Eunice, and then to, to Timothy. But at any rate, Paul uh, sees in Timothy great potential and takes Timothy with him to that town where the gospel was received so well, Berea. And then uh, he joined Paul in Athens, and from there he sent to the church in Thessalonica, uh, comes back to Paul in Corinth with good news that the Thessalonians are progressing in the gospel. At the time of writing to Timothy, Timothy is in Ephesus, a town in which Paul spent two and a half years. It's a town where many of Paul's uh, fears of false teaching coming in would be realized. Uh, later on, when uh, John in his revelation uh, uh, records the letter written to the church in Ephesus, there were in fact false teachers uh, posing problems there. Paul is very fond of Timothy, this young man, rather diffident man, lacking in confidence. My son, he addresses him uh, in verse 2 of the first chapter. Uh, he wants Timothy to do what he, Paul, had done and to be on the lookout for a generation that will come after him, to be equipping uh, leaders who will, in fact, go on to equip other leaders. So the, the, the principle that's involved here is, is of a pyramid, if you like, with a leader at the top who's training others, and these others who are being trained, these men like, like Timothy and Titus, are, they have their eye on potential leaders in the next uh, rung down, and these potential leaders will be trained so that they go on to do the same. <clears throat> Where did Paul learn this? Uh, he didn't pick this up from a pyramid selling manual. He picked it up from Jesus, who operated the same principle. Jesus himself had the three in whom he invested most heavily, Peter, James, and John. And then from the three, there were the twelve who were influenced. And then the twelve influenced the seventy who were sent out on mission. And so it went on. You can work out mathematically the, the huge impact that there is in, in doubling uh, every day uh, a disciple. There's a huge impact uh, when somebody takes the, the call to multiply uh, disciples seriously. Now, we're going to look at the, the implications of this text before we do. Maybe that as we come to this text, you're thinking already, well, uh, nice stuff, but this doesn't really have much to do with me because uh, I'm not a leader and don't particularly envisage myself becoming a leader within the church. Uh, we all know the, the phrase that you can have uh, too many chiefs and not enough Indians. There are only, admittedly, a limited number of formal leadership roles within the church. But the number of informal leadership roles actually includes everybody within the church in one way or another. 
Uh, some of us are involved in informal ministries through, for example, the Sunday school that's going on just now, or the coffee club, or the job club. Uh, many of us are involved in a leadership role within the family. And again, that takes different shades, doesn't it? Either you're a, you're a father, you've got a, a specific role to lead, or you are the only Christian in your family, and maybe a, a family in the wider sense, and you are called of God to exercise a spiritual leadership role in that context. Maybe the context is your place of work, the canteen, or the classroom, or wherever it is that you are called upon to show a lead spiritually. Dr. Harry Reader uh, defines leadership uh, in this way. He says, uh, a leader influences others to effectively achieve a defined mission together. A leader influences others to effectively achieve a defined mission together. That's a pretty broad a definition of leadership. And we are going to be looking at that in terms of the Christian uh, brand of leadership. So the first thing to say is that all of us, uh, in different ways, will be providing a lead. The second thing to say is that multiplying leaders uh, has to be seen in the wider picture of discipleship, which is what we've been thinking about these last few weeks, and church growth. If a church is to grow, it has to grow by discipling new converts and by multiplying new leaders. Our church, the Free Church, recognises that this is a real issue, uh, and as we anticipate growth, it's important that we multiply leaders. And so one of the things that the Mission Board is doing is it uh, has a boot camp, and young uh, men and women have been identified, and they're asked to go on this boot camp at Comrie in Perthshire, and whilst they stay there, in fairly basic conditions, I think, uh, they are stretched spiritually and physically, physically by long hikes and by doing all kinds of uh, challenging things. Spiritually, they're uh, having uh, to grapple with, with theology and with mission and with evangelism. And these are the leaders of the future, identified early and being primed for their future role. If we as a congregation are to grow to the point where we will plant another church, is our, our medium-term aim, then we have to be now raising up men and women who will be ready for the time when that happens. You don't just decide to plant a church and then wonder where the leaders are going to come from. They have to be prepared. They have to be multiplied in advance. So how do we multiply servant leaders in the church? What us uh, to look at this biblically as we observe Paul's relationship with Timothy and his instructions to Timothy. And as we do, there are, and there are three important principles that uh, arise from this relationship. An effective leader, first of all, has clear, godly goals. He knows where he or she is going under God. He's clear, godly goals. And secondly, Effective uh, leadership involves character and competence. An effective leader has character and competence. And then thirdly, effective leadership empowers other people to be leaders. 
So first of all then, an effective leader in the church will have clear, godly goals. There's no point being focused on something that's not going to build the kingdom of God, is it? What's the point of pouring all your effort into stuff that's really never going to achieve anything for God? Uh, somebody said, you can be the most effective ladder climber in the world, but if you don't have the ladder against the right wall, uh, it wouldn't do you any good. Paul had clear objectives. He had clear goals. He was gripped, first of all, by a sense of being called. Every time he writes a letter to some uh, church, he reiterates the fact that he's been called of God to be an apostle. There's this great call on his life. Paul, apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promises of life, that the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Called to be an apostle, a sent one, a witness to the risen Jesus. Secondly, he was clear about the fact that his personal calling was to bring the gospel to the non-Jews, right? So that, that was specific. Uh, others may primarily be missionaries to the Jewish people, but Paul is the missionary to the Gentiles. And then thirdly, his ambition is narrowed and clarified further by the, the fact that he wanted to go to preach the gospel where it hadn't been preached before, to new ground. He was called to be a pioneer, an apostle who was sent to the Gentiles, but to Gentiles who hadn't yet heard the gospel. Paul knew what he was aiming at. So he travels through the known world, establishing churches in some of the key root centers, which obviously could be missionary sending stations to the surrounding countryside. He devotes himself to persuasive evangelism and then to the building up of the saints. So he'll go to a town, he'll go to where the people are, he'll go to the marketplace, he'll go to where the philosophers are discussing, and he'll, he'll raise the question of the purpose of life. He'll speak about uh, the God who has revealed himself in Jesus. People will be converted. He'll spend time uh, building them up in the faith before he moves on. He'll go and go on to other areas and bring the gospel to them. And then he'll come back later on, see how the folks are getting on, build them up again in their faith, encourage them, instruct them. And in order to fulfill this goal, he wants Timothy to be part of a wave of missionaries who take the world for Christ. And the remarkable fact of history is that is what happened. Here we have a handful of people who are following Jesus. And this multiplication of servant leadership meant that today, church historians can look at some of the, the early uh, letters that were circulating pretty early on from the second century from Roman officials who were bewailing the fact that the economy of certain towns in the Roman Empire was being undermined by the Christian faith because there was no demand for the fodder that was required for animals for being sacrificed pagan gods. The temples were being emptied. The Christians were in the ascendancy. And then uh, by the beginning of the 4th century we have Constantine, the Roman emperor, professing faith in Christ. A Christian leader is someone who brings about change in a godly direction. 
change bringer. He or she doesn't just reflect the way things are. That's not leadership, to simply reflect the status quo. Again, reader uh, says memorably, a servant leader is a thermostat rather than a thermometer. You know, a thermostat sets the temperature. A thermometer tells you what the temperature is. A godly leader sets the temperature, brings change in a biblical direction. So, in the family, we aim to effect godly change. In the Sunday school, we do the things that are designed to bring about change in young lives for the glory of God, and so on. In the work canteen, in the surgery, wherever we're called to be influences for God, we are on a defined mission. So we know what God has called us to, and we doggedly keep to that path, even although there may be uh, pressures that will kind of try and pull us off it. Now the pressures may be uh, discouragement when things don't immediately go well, and we always hit these times when things maybe plateau or dip for a while, or where people have got the, the latest fad, the latest bright idea as to how things should be done, and it's not a biblical idea, and we stick to our course. Uh, in 1812, uh, Napoleon has invaded Russia. Uh, there's this huge battle at uh, Borodino, um, and it's a kind of inconclusive result, but Napoleon's French army has been uh, bloodied. It's been mortally wounded uh, by some accounts. The Russian commander, General Kutuzov, has a plan. Uh, he will not engage the French again on a pitched battle. He will allow them to take Moscow and allow them to experience the full blast of the Russian winter. They'll have a guerrilla warfare against the retreating French. But all around them, there are people who want to have a glorious pitched battle. Uh, even the Tsar Alexander himself is trying to persuade him uh, not to look for coward, but to take on the French. And he knows that if they do that, there'll be a huge loss of Russian lives, and in the end, they may not win. And he sticks to his guns, using all his guile and uh, every maneuver at his disposal. And he's proved right. He has a clearly defined uh, game plan. People who train to be leaders will know what the goals are and will share in our conviction their right goals and worthy <coughs> of sticking to. And in all of this, we must commit to seeking first the glory of God. An effective leader leads for the glory of God and the good of others and inspires others to lead for the glory of God. George Whitfield, uh, one of the greatest preachers that God has ever uh, given to his church, uh, he preached to thousands in the open air in both Britain and America was part of the, the Great Awakening uh, in, in, in the UK and in revival in the States. One of the sad features of uh, this era in the 18th century was the opposition which Whitfield encountered, uh, and not just from non-Christians, but from that great and godly man, John Wesley, who opposed Whitfield's Calvinism and presented it in the most negative colours and uh, drew away some of his converts. And Whitfield was sustained through this terrible time of being vilified uh, by his single-minded aim to glorify only God. 
So Whitfield chose to forgive his friend, he spoke lovingly of Wesley to others, and he made sure that his own outstanding success in ministry reflected well on Wesley. And constantly his refrain was, let the name of George Whitfield perish so long as Christ is exalted. He was single-mindedly committed to the glory of God alone. And he made a remarkable impact on the watching world, uh, not least some of the, the founding fathers of America, uh, John Adams, the second president. Uh, Benjamin Franklin wrote, he's a good man and I love him. They could see his integrity. So that is the first point, that the effective godly leader has a clear idea of what God has called him or her to do. And secondly, effective leaders embody the truth that they pass on. They're marked by character and they are marked by competence. It's remarkable how willing Paul is to, to point to himself as an example for others to follow. Uh, uh, here he says to, that Timothy is to pass on what you've heard from me. In other words, these are solid, reliable things that you heard from Timothy. Uh, you heard them in the midst of many witnesses. Uh, uh, elsewhere, he can say uh, to the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. And the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 7, also speaks of the importance of character in a leader. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Christian character lends credibility to the gospel. People will only believe and follow those they can see are committed by their lifestyle to the truth that they proclaim. If we contradict our message by our lifestyle, then we, we rubbish the gospel and people will not believe. Uh, interesting that, that um, three of the congregation uh, were away on a uh, Christians Against Poverty money course, and uh, you all enjoy the course. But the deal was that you can't start a course until you're actually implementing the principles in your own household. And so uh, we're just waiting for that to happen. <laughs> and the course will only happen when that happens. And of course, when it happens, we all want to listen to what. Uh, is said because we know that it's been taken on board, that people who are talking are actually convinced of the practical benefits. Good leaders inspired by the quality of their lives. Uh, they say that we, we learn as much by imitation as we do by instruction. And Paul is stressing repeatedly instruction. Instruction is really important. The things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, teach these. He's passing on a deposit of truth. Instruction is really important. But our way of life speaks volumes also. The way that Timothy lives will make all the difference as to whether people will catch on to his instruction. And so you have all of this emphasis in the chapter on lifestyle. He's to work hard like a farmer. He's to be single-minded like a soldier. 
He's to be in training and to compete according to the rules, like an athlete. Your character speaks. You are an open book to those around you. And when we are, we have a loyalty built within the team, so that there's a bond of loyalty that goes from the, the, the follower to the leader, also to the leader to the follower. We commit to one another because of the transparency of character in lives. I think one of the, the, the beautiful examples in Scripture of this kind of thing is with David and his mighty men, David in the 30. And I remember when David is not yet crowned king, and he's in flight from Saul, and he's with his mighty men in a cave, which is looking onto Bethlehem. And David, in a kind of reverie, is uh, saying how much he, he enjoyed the water from the well of Bethlehem. And you've got these guys, these, these, these strong, kind of tough military men, uh, camped down with David, and, and uh, one of them overhears David saying this. And David is like, you're going to get a leaf, some of this water that he craves. And so they break through the, the, the Philistine defences, and they come back with water drawn from the well of Bethlehem. And David is so moved by this that he can't bring himself to, to actually drink it. It's something which is sacred. They went at the risk of their own lives out of devotion, out of loyalty to him. And so it's offered as a, a kind of drink offering to the Lord. Beautiful reflection of the, the commitment within a team of leaders because there's integrity on display. Character, also competence is, is important. The leader uh, has to be competent. Uh, no matter at what level it is, God's called you to be uh, an instrument for change, to be a leader, a pace setter. It's important uh, that we are competent in the Word. Look how Paul stresses that throughout uh, the last letter uh, that he sends. He's stressing the doctrines that have, have to be passed on by Timothy. He's to be a workman uh, who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul has this lovely little summary of the, the message, pardon me, that, that he himself has preached. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Isn't that so uh, typical of how uh, each one of us should be able to, to give a, a bite-sized summary of the Christian message uh, to those uh, around us who don't know Jesus. That's a pithy uh, summary, isn't it? You know, the divinity and the, and the humanity of Jesus, raised from the dead, the conqueror over sin. We need to, to handle the Word of God competently. We need to be raising up a generation of leaders who know the Bible, who have a good grasp of the doctrines of grace, and not least of these doctrines of grace is the doctrine of providence. God is in control of all things that he's governing in the course of history and of our lives. Why important? Because as we seek the, the upbuilding of the church, we will meet with reversals and disappointments, and things will sometimes be hard, and we don't see visible results. And when we remind ourselves that God is providentially governing all things, then we will have perseverance to carry on and wait on God to bless us. Competency means knowing our Bible, knowing the doctrines of grace, 
that are in the Word of God. People need also be, to be trained in communicating well, in mission, in the history of the church, how the church courts operate, competence and character. And then thirdly, and importantly, effective leaders empower others. Uh, one of the best terms these days is leadership team. You know, uh, one-man ministry is, is out. Team leadership is in. Well, we have a team, and it's called the Cook Session. But more significantly than that, a church should be aiming not so much to have a leadership team, but the church should be aiming to be a team of leaders where everybody recognizes that they have a spiritual lead to give within certain contexts. Paul, from the beginning of his own ministry, had an eye out for others who could share his work, who could watch him on the job, as it were, and who would then be given an opportunity to go and to do it themselves. Timothy was pitched in at the deep end pretty quickly when he was left to disciple people at Berea, and he becomes a delegate of, of Paul's. So he's under Paul's wing for a long time, and now in Ephesus he'll be shouldering the responsibility. Each one of us, in our own sphere, should be looking to others who can share what we're doing, so that if one day we are out of the picture, there is someone to take over. Harry Reader again, he comments, if you're a leader, Anything you do by yourself is a waste of time. But if you perform your ministry with someone else, then everything you do becomes discipleship and leadership training. You are not only ministering, but also instructing and providing a model to imitate. Okay, that's clearly exaggerating. I think he's saying that for effect. Clearly, uh, not everything that we do on our own is no good. But you see what he's saying. Wherever we can, we should work with others in order that others are in on what God has called us to do, because that is training others. Who works with you in the ministry to which God has called you? So, effective leadership, in other words, doesn't just lead, doesn't just do the job of leading, but enables others to be part of that, brings others into the work. And so we should have within the church an ethos of encouraging people to share the work. To quote reader again, effective leaders don't raise monuments, okay? monuments to themselves. They create movements. Effective leaders don't raise monuments, they create movements. Now that sounds very uh, new and radical, but like most things, uh, the wheel has been there for a long time. Uh, this particular one in the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 12, where we're told what the aim of leadership is in the church. Is the aim to have leaders who will do all the work? Is that why we have leaders? Is that why I'm here to do all the work? in the church in Hope Church Coatbridge? Well, not according to the Bible. The role of leaders 
is to equip God's people for works of service so that the whole body of Christ may be built up. So leaders are there to involve others. I would be the first to hold up my hands and say, I find delegating difficult. Sometimes it's a lot simpler just to do it yourself. Sometimes having other people involved seems to generate work rather than decrease it. But this is an important principle. That as leaders we are there to equip God's people for works of service. To empower people. To enable people to themselves be servant leaders equipping others to be servant leaders. What do we want to be in Hope Church Coatbridge? We've said already we want to be uh, a place of disciple building. We also want to be factory for servant leadership, so that we are constantly replicating uh, servant leaders, so that we have our eye on future elders, future deacons, future Sunday school teachers, administrators, reliable people who are teachable and who can be empowered to lead and bring others with them. And if we do that, then not only is our own congregation blessed, but the wider community is blessed. Every sphere, family, community, politics, so on, according to people's biblical responsibilities and interests and passions, people are released to be servant leaders in the world. So don't let this go by you just because you consider yourself a leader. Ask yourself and say, in what sphere has God called me to exercise godly change? Where am I influencing others for Christ? And having thought that, then ask yourself, who is it that I can empower to share this with me so that the work is multiplied? Let's pray together. Gracious God, we, we give thanks for the way that your Holy Spirit raised up uh, wave after wave of servant leaders like Timothy uh, to take uh, the world of their day for the gospel. Thank you for the way in which the, the standard of Jesus was raised over territory that had been pagan, had been brutal, uh, had been uh, so ignoble in many ways. We thank you, Lord, for the the rate, the progress of change in the early church. And Lord, we long to see that in our own day. Help us, therefore, Lord, to, to see where it is you have called us to serve and, and to lead. And grant that we will have an eye not only upon what we do ourselves, but on how we might also enable others to join with us in the work to raise up generations of servant leaders for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.